Good morning, family. It is good to be with you. My name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Covenant Church Sterling. I hope that you are well, that you're, you're healthy. Uh, it is a, it's a pleasure to get to connect with you. Before we get into the Word, I, I have a few things that I, I want to make note of. Um, first of all, uh, this Monday is, is Memorial Day, and it's a day to remember the, the sacrifices that have been made on our behalf, sacrifices that men and women have made in, in our nation uh, to secure and protect the freedom that we all uh, enjoy. So I wanted to take a moment and just pray for the families of those who, uh, who have lost someone, pray for the families of those who have made an ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us in this nation. We thank you for the freedoms that you've given to us that allow us to even have a meeting on Sunday, that allow us to, to openly share what you've done in our lives without fear of persecution. Uh, and Lord, we pray that you would bless and you would comfort those who mourn, those who have lost loved ones uh, in the service of protecting these freedoms. We, we don't take it lightly that, that they have given their lives, that they have made an ultimate sacrifice, that they've done uh, what, what is considered to be an amazing thing, to lay down their life for a brother, to lay down their life for a friend, for a stranger, so that we might be able to stand here and even pray publicly and, and celebrate the name of Jesus Christ. God, be with these families comfort them, encourage them, pour out your love on them, help them to know and appreciate you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And to those of you who are actively serving or who have served, I want to thank you as well for your service. Thank you for all that you've done as well. Uh, In addition, I want to speak specifically, uh, I want to speak specifically to our men. Men, listen up. We have a great opportunity for you to participate in the manhood journey. Now, what this is, it's a 21-day journey devotional moment uh, in June where you will be connected with a band of brothers here in Sterling, uh, virtually though, uh, and it will culminate in a a manhood ceremony that'll happen sometime this summertime. But this is an opportunity for you to press in to God, to be intentional, and to see what it means to be a biblical man. Man, this is good for you whether you are single or married, young or old, whatever the case may be, I want to encourage you, don't miss out on this opportunity. The way that you can get connected into this, that way that you can participate with it, is you can register at gracecov.org slash sterling and get connected with one of our groups. We've got three groups going right now. If if the times don't work with you, let us know. We're going to have weekly phone calls and and we're going to be going over a, a, a book that's just recently been Uh, put together and and written by one of our own pastors, Stephen Law. And so I would love to to see you there, men. This is an opportunity for you to exercise biblical manhood, take initiative, and and see what God would do to bless your life, to to reorient your your life around what it means to be a man in the context of, of this world and informed by God's word. Please register today. gracecub.org slash sterling. Secondly, I want to encourage everyone to get plugged in in small groups. This is, we continue to, to move through this season of, of isolation and challenge, and, and we have this opportunity in our small groups to stay 
connected, to stay in fellowship. And in our world, especially here in the West, it can be easy for us to think about our faith in God as a, as a vertical thing solely, as, a, as only something that we do or we, we exercise or, or participate in in a vertical manner. It's me and it's God. But that was never God's intention. Even in, in, in the Lord's prayer, when, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he begins by saying, our Father. And there's this, this collective idea of, of us being together in relationship with God. And so one of the ways that we do that here in, in Sterling is that we have small groups, a place where you can get connected in relationship with other people, where you can be encouraged, held accountable, grow in, in relationship with God in the context of other people. This church thing was never, this, this faith thing was never meant to be done alone. God has always intended it to be a thing that we do as a people. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss out on this opportunity to be in a small group. The way that you would get connected is you go to gracecub.org slash sterling. You click the, the, the right, or there actually is, should be a get connected button. Uh, and you can look at our small groups uh, if you cl- click the, the three-lined menu thing and, and find our small groups. But, but if none of that works, email uh, sterling at gracecuff.org and say, hey, I just want to get in a small group. We would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, so please, 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 please participate. Well, uh, today as we, as we enter into a, a new series, um, we're thinking about the idea of, of primary words. And, and really, this, this, is the, this, this is connected to and it, it mirrors the idea of primary colors. Uh, I remember learning about primary colors as a kid. My little sister loved uh, art, and she she sang this song that I even remember now, Red, Yellow, Blue, Red, Yellow, Blue, I Love You, Red, Yellow, Blue. I don't know if I'm getting the the lyrics correct, and I I, I spared you the melody, but but you have the idea. These primary colors are the colors on which every other color is built. You know, green is the combination of of yellow and blue, and, and pink is, well, pink is yellow, it's a different... Anyways, a shade or a hue, I don't know. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not an artist. Um, but orange is, is yellow and red. Purple is, is blue and red. And, and these primary colors serve as the building blocks of all the other colors. And in the same way, there are some primary words that we want to think about, some primary principles or ideas that really should be the building blocks of our communication to and for God. So what are the primary words that we should know and speak to our God? What are the primary words that we should uh, speak about God? What are the primary words that should describe our lifestyle? So we're going to consider some words of David in a moment where he was ushering the presence of God into Jerusalem and, and listen to his words and let those be words that inform our life and words. So if you will turn with me to 1 Chronicles, that's in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter uh, 16, we are going to read verse 8. It says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us in your word so many examples of how we ought to relate to you, how we ought to speak to you, how, how we ought to speak about you, and words that, that describe how our lives ought to embody a certain set of primary words. 
God, I pray that by your spirit that we would see and appreciate your goodness, that we would be quickened in our spirit to respond to you, to speak to you the right primary words, that, that our hearts would be filled with a thanksgiving, praise, and worship, and that that thanksgiving, praise, and worship would overflow into declaration of your name, proclamation of your goodness, and that we would live lives whose words reflected the primary words that we see here in Scripture. Be with us as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I, I just read the first really line of, of a song that, that King David commands one of his, his uh, workers, Asaph, to, to sing uh, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And we really have to look at the historical circumstance of this. So uh, if you're not into history, just kind of bear with me, you know, prop open your eyelids and listen for a moment because it's really important. This is a pivotal moment in the life of King David. He's, he's bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem for really the first time. And, and the Ark of the Covenant had actually been uh, kind of out of commission, out of the, 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 the main area of rulership in, in Israel for about between 70 to 90 years, 75 to, to 90 years. So if we were to go back into 1 Samuel, we get this, this context that, that the Ark of the Covenant uh, was, was in a place called, called Shiloh. And, and if you're not familiar, the Ark of the Covenant was this box. I don't know if you've ever seen Indiana Jones. It's referred to in there. Uh, but the Ark of the Covenant is this box that during the, the period of the Exodus, Moses received instructions on how to build this uh, from God, it was a, an ark. It was a box that was supposed to carry, among other things, the the Ten Commandments and really the test. It was called the testimony of God, but but the scripture that God commanded uh, Moses to, to to write out. And you have these two tablets. Maybe you think of Ben Hur or not Ben Hur. You think of uh, Charlton Heston and and him holding them. Uh, but but these tablets were held in the Ark of the Covenant, among a few other things, some of the manna, the, the, the staff of Aaron that sprouted. You can go and read parts of the Old Testament and you, and you can learn about those things. But the part that, that's pertinent to this moment is that the Ark of the Covenant represented and really was the center of God's presence in this time period. And, and we see that, that there were these two cherubim, they were called, but there were these, these angelic beings and their, their image was, was made out of gold so this is a representation, not actual cherubs, but this is a representation of them on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and in the center was this kind of throne mercy seat thing that, that really was the place that, that God said that he would be. And in fact, if you, if you look in, in the Old Testament, you see uh, in, in Exodus chapter 25, verse, verse 22, when, when, when God is giving Moses direction... He, he begins to explain this, and, and in verse uh, th- 22, he says uh, this. There I will meet you, talking about, uh, he, I'll start in verse 21, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. So this is kind of a lid for the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And this testimony is the Ten Commandments and, and some other directions. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, between the two cherubim, the, the two angelic beings that I just spoke of that were, that were carved and made of gold and, and put on the mercy seat, this top over the ark. 
between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So Moses gets this instruction to, to build this ark and build it according to these specifications. There are these two cherubim, and God says, I'm going to meet with you there. It, this is the presence of God. And so we see that there's this ark of the covenant that, that has been the place. Uh, and in 1 Samuel, uh, it says this, something similar, but, but it says in, in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, uh, talking about God, he's enthroned on the cherubim. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that, that God is enthroned on the cherubim. This is the place where the presence of God rests. And so this Ark of the Covenant, it, it was an important aspect of the rulership of, of, of Israel. And, and we see that in, in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel that, that the Ark of the Covenant is in Shiloh, but in chapter 4, the, the Israelites go to war against the Philistines. They begin to lose, and so they take the Ark of the Covenant to fight against the Philistines. Now, that sounds good. You've got the presence of God. Let's invite the presence of God in. But in actuality, the way they were treating the Ark of the Covenant, it was almost like it was a, a lucky um, uh, rabbit's foot or some sort of superstitious object. They treated the presence of God like an object, and they tried to bring that object into the war, and, and as though that just the presence of this box, devoid of a relationship with God, devoid of an of a honor and respect and awe for God, would, would win the war. And, and it did not win the war. And in fact, in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, we see that uh, because the ark is treated that way, uh, Israel is defeated, and the ark is lost. And so the Philistines actually take the Ark of the Covenant back to their, uh, their city of, of Ashdod. Now, this is a bad move on the Philistines' part. We find out that over a seven-month period, they try to keep the Ark of the Covenant in, in various locations. And this is an amazing account that you should read. It's in 1 Samuel uh, chapters 4 and following. But we see that they take the, the Ark of the Covenant and, and they bring it to Ashdod. They put it in the temple of this god Dagon. Bad idea. And, and the next day, they find that the, the, the statue of Dagon, their god, is, is knocked over. So they prop it back up. It's never a good idea when you have to prop up your own god as a side note. It's, it's, if you have to fashion or, or put together or support or uh, help your god stand... That is not a good God. And now none of us worship statues, or probably we don't, but, but if you have someone or something in your life that you have to, to bring support to, that you, at the same time, devote everything to, you might consider that a problem, right? We, we, we often treat other things as idols, and we, we have to prop those things. We worship created things like, like Dagon. Anyways, uh, this happens three times. And the final time, the, the head is chopped off. God makes the point that, Dagon is not a god. So, so the Philistines say, we're done with this. Uh, and we're, we send it, they send it to Gath and then to Ekron. And at each of these locations as well, God, he judges the people and, and gives them really terrible tumor, tumors. Finally, after about seven months, the, it, the Philistines get the picture. This, this ark needs to go back. And so they send the ark back to Israel and they, they send it to a city called Beth Shemesh uh, or they send it on some, some, some cows. The cows carry the Ark of the Covenant, and, and they, they walk straight to this, this city called Beth Shemesh. 
and they, they actually, they, the Philistines also send a, a, a guilt offering of, of some things that represent the, the judgment that they received. Really amazing story. Anyways, in 1 Samuel six nineteen, Beth Shemesh, the, the Ark of the Covenant is received by, by individuals there, but at the same time, the Israelites in Beth Shemesh profane the ark. They treat it with disrespect. We, we see in, in 1 Samuel, I'll turn there now, 1 Samuel chapter 6. We don't know exactly the nature of the disrespect that they give to the ark, but we see in chapter 6, verse 19, it says this. And he struck, talking about God, he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. So there was something about the way they treated the ark of the Lord that they didn't treat it with the respect that it deserved. They didn't therefore treat God with the respect he deserved. And he struck 70 men of them and the people mourned because of the Lord and, and because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Now, God, they, they're excited that the, the ark of the covenant has come to them. This happens, 70 men die. And they basically say, you know what? we're not ready for this. And it says in verse uh, 21, so they sent messengers to inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and get it. Come down and take it up for you. We don't, we don't want, you know what? You guys need this. And so the ark of the covenant goes to Kiriath-Jerim. And that is the last place that the ark is mentioned before we see King David bringing it to them. Between this time of, of the ark being uh, taken by the Philistines to this point where in, in First Chronicles 16, where David is ushering in, <coughs> excuse me, David is ushering in the, the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, it spans between 75 and 90 years. It covers the, the reign and rulership of, of Samuel, the judge. And then Samuel appoints, uh, anoints and appoints Saul as king. It covers Saul's uh, rulership. And then it, it, it goes into part of David's rulership. The presence of God, and this is, this is why this is significant. The presence of God has not been really in the place of rulership for Israel for a long period of time. It's been kind of disregarded and put to the side. And finally, we see that David is bringing in, bringing in the presence of God. And, and the same story is reflected in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you were to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, you, you would see this, this story reported, uh, how, how Samuel brings the, the Ark of the Covenant in, how he's excited um, he's, he's dancing around. So, so first and second Chronicles are, are really a recap, recapitulation of, of, of Samuel and, and Kings. And we see that this, this movement gives us a, a, a picture, right? The, the, the bringing in of David gives us a picture. The bringing of, of the Ark of the Covenant by King David gives us a picture of, of what our proper response ought to be. And so I'm going to go back and we're going to listen with all of that baggage, with all that historical con- context, and we're going to listen to the verse again. First uh, Chronicles chapter 16, verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And there, there are people singing these words. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds <coughs> among the people. In these in these words, in this verse, we see some primary words, some ways that we should reflect and respond and, and relate to God in a primary way. 
He begins, he begins in the beginning of, of verse 8 by saying, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. King David starts off this song with thanksgiving. He begins all of the things he could be saying as he's dancing and bringing in the presence of God. As he's celebrating who God is, he says, give thanks. Give thanks. God is good. God has done so much. And he's going to reflect on some of the, the acts and the deeds of God. But he says, give thanks. When you come into a real sense and experience of God's presence, thanksgiving comes. When, when you see God, what God has done, not only in the Old Testament as we see here, but, but in the New Testament through the work and the life of Jesus Christ, when you see that God loves you, that he's poured out his love by his son Jesus Christ who, who lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived, died a death that we all deserve and rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death on behalf of anyone who would put their faith in him. When we see that, when we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit who makes that a reality in our own life, Thanksgiving happens. And so he says, thanks, give thanks to the Lord. He doesn't just say give thanks to the Lord, like give thanks to God, but he uses this word. If you look in your Bible, it's probably an, a, a, lower, uh, a, a small caps Lord, right? L-O-R-D, all of them are in caps, and it says give thanks to the Lord. That represents the, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. We're giving thanks to the God who has made covenant with his people. This is not just a God who rules uh, from afar, but it's a God who has made himself known to his people, who's, who's made a covenant, uh, uh, an agreement made in blood. He made this covenant with, with Abraham and with, with Moses, and, and he makes this promise that he will be with God. And in fact, if we go to Exodus chapter 3, when we think of this name, Yahweh. It's, it's worth reflecting on. I know that I've said this before, but it's worth thinking about who this God is who's making this covenant, who this God is who we're giving thanks to. In verse 13, Moses said, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he, said to, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So we see that, that in response to, to Moses' question, who sends me, who, who am I going to say is sending me? He says, I am who I am. And this is, this is not just a Popeye, I am who I am, you know, I'm, I'm Popeye the sailor man. This is a, a declaration of God's nature. God is who he was, who he is, and who he always will be. And so what that means for Moses is if God was for the people of Israel before, then he's going to be for the people of Israel now, and he's going to be for the people of Israel in the future. I am who I am. Doesn't matter. I exist outside of change. I exist outside of, of wavering. I exist outside of, of fluidity. I am who I am. And so we say, here, oh, give thanks to the Lord, to the one who has made a covenant with his people, to the one who is who he was and who he will always be. If he's been good, he is good, and he will always be good. So David's able to say, I know that God is good. I know that he's always been good. I know that he's made a way for my people. I know that he's made a way through, through Abraham. I know that he made a way out of Egypt 
through Moses. I know that he made a way in, in leadership through Samuel and then Saul and then finally me, King David. He is who he is for his people and family. He is who he is for you. That has not changed. Jesus is Lord. And in the New Testament, we see this greatest reflection, this, this real uh, expression of God's goodness and his covenant faithfulness, his lordship, being Lord, being Yahweh Lord, being faithful to his promise to save his people. We see that most in Jesus Christ, that he is who he is, and he's the Lord we give thanks to today. We thank the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is to us today. He's the same God he was here to David. He's the same God who, who was to, to Moses. He's the same God who made promises to Abraham. He's the same God who said, let there be light. We give thanks to the Lord. And for, for David, thanksgiving leads to praise. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. This phrase, call upon his name, reflects an attitude of worship and devotion. We see it in, in Genesis 4 that the, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In Genesis 12, we see the same thing, this phrase of calling upon the name of the Lord. If you were to go to Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to go there now. Genesis 12, we see the phrase repeated talking of Abram. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon uh, the name of the Lord. This is, this is right when, when, when Abram, soon to be Abraham, has been called by God to, to go to a place that he doesn't know. So he begins his journey and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He worships God. He calls on God. This calling of God is a reflection that, that, that there's power in the name of God. There's authority in the name of God. And so he says, Yahweh Lord, or he says, God, I'm, I'm calling upon you. I'm worshiping you. He says, call upon the name of the Lord. Call out to God for help. Call out to God who helps. This, this idea of calling upon the name of the Lord also it involves a proclamation of the power and the, the authority of that name. In, in the New Testament, in, in Matthew chapter 8, we see this story of the centurion. God, Jesus has been, been healing people, and, and his, his fame is, has gone out into the world. And we see in, in, in chapter 8 that there's a centurion who, who has a, a sick family member. It says in verse 5, when he had entered Jesus, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I'll, Jesus says to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, no one, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And so we see in the story of the centurion that he called on the name of the Lord. He understood, he understood that, that God had power, and it was just the word that would, was needed 
God, Jesus could, could move and could act, and, and it was the power of his word, the proclamation of his word, the revelation of his word that brought power and healing to his servant. When we proclaim the word of God to ourselves and to others, when we proclaim, when we call upon the name of the Lord and reflect that he is God, we are not. We are saying, I'm, I'm submitting myself to you. <clears throat> Whose name do you call on when you need help? What, what functional saviors do you have in your life that, that you call upon? When you're under stress, do you run to Netflix? When you're, when you're under stress, do you run to, to entertainment or do you run to golf or, or, or to, to Amazon.com or to a particular relationship? Do you run to a, a him or a her? Do you run, what do you run to when, when the pressure is on? That's a reflection on the person you call on, you know, whoever it is that, that you call on their name. It could be a person, it could be a thing, anything that, that, that we call on as a way of, of bringing safety and security and health and, and healing and, and salvation. Who do you call on? David called on the name of the Lord. And he goes on to say, make known his deeds among the peoples. You know, when we when we appreciate something, the greatest expression of that appreciation is, is in declaration. You know, when I, when I go to mom's apple pie in Leesburg and I, I, I roll into there and, and I buy a, a strawberry rhubarb uh, pie with a crumble top and I go home and I, I cut a slice for everyone else and I eat the rest of it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's, there's joy that comes into my soul. And that's okay as a side note. It's okay. God has given us tongues. He's given us taste buds. It's okay to enjoy these things in moderation. And, and so when I do that, oftentimes I will proclaim the goodness of that pie. I will, part of the enjoyment is the expression of joy. I'll tell people about it. I'm telling you now about it because it's so good. That is just a tiny picture of, of how our lives and our hearts ought to respond when we give thanks to God. When we think about what God has done in our lives, it's a small picture of, of, of how we ought to bubble over with, with proclamation, with declaration of God's goodness. We naturally evangelize those things that we're thankful for and devoted to. You know, I'm sure that some of you are just missing football, and you're just hoping that the NFL season is not going to be chucked because of this COVID-19 thing. But there have been seasons in your life where you have seen the goodness of the Redskins, maybe not, um, or the, your, your favorite team, and, and you have in a moment of, of joy, of devotion, of, dare I say, worship, you have proclaimed and, and, and you've declared their goodness to the surrounding fans. You've proclaimed their goodness to, to your enemies, the cowboys. You've proclaimed the goodness of your team to whomever. And, and again, that is a small picture of the behavior that just comes naturally to us. You know, I think that sometimes when we think about things like evangelism, about, about reaching out to our neighbors, we, we overcomplicate it. You know, what if I don't have the right words? And what if they have a PhD in, in uh, a, you know, uh, 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 secularism, or, or they have all the, all the, you know, they have got a philosophy degree, and, and I don't have the words to say. You don't have to have the words to say. You can just look at and meditate on what God has done in both history and your life, and let that 
permeate your life to such a degree that it boils over into praise, that it boils over into declaration. Can I tell you the amazing thing that God has done in my life? Can I tell you the good thing that God has done in me? Can I tell you of the things that God has freed me from? This is something that I, I, I think about for myself, that, that our, our devotion to God ought to result in a declaration of his goodness. Make known his deeds among the peoples. God doesn't just do good things in your life for you. He does do good things in your life for you, but he does them so that you might praise his name before the peoples. That you might praise his name in Leesburg, in Ashburn, in Sterling, in Herndon, in Reston, in South Riding, in Gainesville, in Chantilly, in Centerville, wherever you are. He, he, he does these things in part so that you might overflow with a declaration of his goodness. These are the primary words that God gives us. Words that, that ought to permeate our lives and, and describe the things that we say to God, the things we say about God, the things that we say to other people. What words are you using today? Whose name are you calling upon today? God invites you to call upon his name. If you've never considered the greatest of things that God has done, we, we, we talked about it briefly, but Jesus has been the greatest example of, of God's goodness, the greatest expression of God's goodness for us, the greatest reason for our own thanksgiving. Jesus came to, to save sinners. He, he lived a perfect life, a life of obedience toward God, a life of faithfulness toward God, a life that reflected the life that you and I should have lived. Unfortunately, you and I, we are, we are sinners and we did not live that life. We have not lived that life, even up to this point. But Jesus also died on the cross, bearing the sins of those who put faith in him, bearing their sins in our place so that we might be able to receive the righteousness that he had and stand righteous before God, give thanksgiving, call upon his name, and worship and praise him and declare him to the world. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus has done amazing things. If you never trusted in Jesus, today is the day to do that. If you've never trusted in this God, if you've never taken a moment to say, you know what? I do want to give thanks to the Lord. I do want to call upon his name. I do want to make known his deeds among the people. Today is the day to do that. And family, if you're here and that's you, this is how you, you just, you, you respond to what you're hearing. You respond to what God is doing in your soul. You say, God, I want to turn away from the other things that I've given thanks for, and I want to give thanks to you. I want to thank you for all that you've done. I want to confess that I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. There are things that I should have done that I didn't do. There's things that I shouldn't have done that I have done. And I want to turn away from everything I know to be that kind of disobedience. And I want to turn to you, God, and receive the forgiveness that comes through trusting Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, let me encourage you that, that you can live this life out and you can begin to give thanks to the Lord. You can call upon his name and you can make his deeds known. Would you reach out to someone in the chat? Would you email us at Sterling at Grace Cove and help us, let us help you walk this out? Family, if you struggle with making known his deeds, it's, it's not hard. You can just tell your neighbor about what God is doing in your life. Just be honest. You don't have to be a PhD. 
You don't have to be a pastor. You just have to be faithful and paying attention to what God is doing in your life and what God has done in history. He's good and he loves you. And if you give him an opportunity, he will fill you up with the kind of joy that leads to thanksgiving, praise, and declaration. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you. You are good. Yahweh, covenant God, you are good. Jesus, you are good. Holy Spirit, you are good to us. We're calling upon your name today. We're saying, God, be our God. Help us today. We're declaring your goodness to those around us. We're saying, God, you are good. We want to make your deeds known. We want to make the deeds that you've done in history and the deeds that you've done in our lives known to our friends and families and neighbors so that they might too partake of this joy and they might too also give thanksgiving, call upon your name and make your deeds known. Would you do this for us, God? Make these words reflective of our lifestyle. Lord, I pray that we'd be people who live this out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, family, it's good to be with you. And, and one of the neat things that we do as a way of making God's words and his deeds known is that we, we reach out. And we do that right now. Every Tuesday and Friday, we're collecting donations to, to reach out to our community, to meet the needs of those in our community through food and hygiene. We're supporting Dominion High School. We're supporting uh, Mobile Hope of Loudoun County. And we are, we're supporting our community. We're meeting their physical needs as an opportunity to make known the deeds of God. When we meet those physical needs, it opens the door for us to be able to proclaim God's goodness. So if you want to participate in that today, I want to encourage you. You can join us on Tuesdays and Fridays. Give donations. You can, you can join us on Wednesdays as we deliver these things throughout the neighborhood. Or you can join us right now as we take up a benevolence offering. This offering, all of the proceeds go towards supporting people who have needs in our community, both people within the church and people outside the church. Everything that you're giving is going towards those efforts, towards food, towards support, towards meeting, you know, real physical needs um, and, and, and facilitating that whole process. If you'd like to give, no, no pressure, but if you'd like to give, you can give by check and you can make it payable to Grace Covenant Church and you can write Sterling Benevolence in the memo and email, or not email it, <laughs> you can send it to our, our Rich Top office. Uh, 21631 Rich Top Circle Suite 200. Otherwise, you can give online on our website, gracecup.org slash sterling. Click the give button or you can give through our mobile app. This is your opportunity to give and it's one of the ways that you can proclaim the deeds of God through your resources. Well, family, it is good to be with you. It is good to be with you and, and I want to encourage you as we dismiss hear these words of God for you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Go, family. God is good and God is great for you. You're amazing. <laughs>